Malone for the win. And welcome to this week's edition of All In, WFUV's Women's Sports Podcast. I'm Julia Moss, joined here with Sam Bohr and Taylor Massetta. And we have so much to break, like actually so much to break down this week. The NCAA Women's Championship happened since the last time we had an episode. A lot of controversy and fallout from the final of that score. And then, of course, the WNBA draft is coming up in just a couple days. Um, But before we get into any of that, it is Easter our uh, Easter break just started. And before we get into women's sports, I want to hear about you guys' break so far. I mean, I know yesterday I think was the first day of actual break, but how are you guys enjoying the time off of school? You know, I'm loving it. I'm Jewish, so this is Passover break for me. <laughs> Wicked. I'm having a great time, you know. I've been picking up some extra shifts at work, making some money, and Man, oh, man, am I so excited to sleep tomorrow and not set an alarm because that is so rare when that happens. But tomorrow I'm I'm going to hibernate and I'm pumped. See, I'm a bit of the opposite because I've had such a busy week. And well, because I have a I have a track meet tomorrow. It'll be Saturday, holy Saturday. And I'm there until 6 p.m. And but I'll be able to go home like that night, which will be nice. But I also have a homework assignment due at midnight on Easter. So I have been trying to finish that up all week long. So then I don't have to worry about it on the weekend. But, you know, I'm excited just to kind of relax. I practice a little later in the day, like this entire week by, oh, my God, I got the run at 8 a.m. instead of 730 a.m., which is a huge difference sleeping wise. So, yeah, yeah just happy with how it's going. Nice. I am kind of like splitting the difference between you guys. Uh, Sam, you're going to get to hibernate for the next few days. I have been hibernating the past few days. Um, I haven't had class in a few, in like a couple of days. And, and I don't know if the viewers watch the show Love Island, but um, I sure have been. And I am hooked on season nine right now. It is one of those shows where it's like you can turn your brain off and boy, have I. <laughs> um, Love Love Island. I've watched a lot of that stuff in the past. Yeah. I will say I binged like half of the Lego movie franchise this break so okay. far. <laughs> and it's it's wonder it's a wonderful group of movies. I agree. Yeah. Word. Lego Batman is, I've seen it. It's actually really funny. Um Lego but, Batman is a masterpiece. But Sam, you mentioned setting an alarm, not having to set an alarm tomorrow. I have to be up at 4 45 a.m. to take a five-hour bus to Syracuse. So definitely on different different times working there but uh definitely will be fun regardless but we're gonna get into into the the content section of our podcast and we'll start with probably the biggest news of the week and that is LSU winning the national championship they beat Iowa by a score of 105 to 82 
A lot of records broken, most points scored in a national championship game, most fouls, which we will get into that, most fouls in an NCAA game ever. But before I give my thoughts, and, and Sam, we can start with you. Like, what were your biggest takeaways or your thoughts? You know, where did you watch it? Like, what, where, what were your thoughts on uh, the game? Um, I sadly had to watch this from work. I was bartending during the uh, NCAA women's and men's uh, final games, which sucked because then I couldn't actually pay attention to the game too, too much. So I only got to catch flashes when people were not ordering beverages from me. For the listeners at home, I'm a bartender. So I controlled the TV behind the bar and I instantly came in and put that puppy on, um, which was great. My first thought is that this was such a fun and competitive game. And this is what like college basketball is. You know, we've got two teams, best of the best. Both had to overcome huge obstacles to get to this championship game. You know, I think the last episode I was on, we talked about our final four predictions and I was fully wrong in every capacity. Um, And I think that's what makes it so fun. So this game all around, which is a really, really fun one to watch especially the way it turned out, you know, I mean, I think that you would consider this somewhat of an upset in terms of what the national prediction was. And that just makes it so much fun and made this such a exciting championship and brought a lot of attention to women's collegiate basketball, which is always a win. I'm going to flex because I won our women's bracket. Okay. I won it. I guess oh, the entire final yeah. four, you know, I, I deserve this. I deserve this after. After how my men's bracket was absolutely destroyed, the minute the round of 32 happened, I the only mistake I made was picking Iowa to win. But I honestly, that was a very good judgment call for me. But I honestly, I'm just glad that LSU made it this far. I was so excited to see this matchup. I watched the Iowa-USC game at a track meet in Virginia with my friend at 11 o'clock at night, the night before my race, and I was literally jumping up and down when Iowa won. I was just so ridiculously excited, and I was even more excited because literally all my favorite players in the game right now, Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese, Flage, were all about to show down on the court for the final, and I was I was like, this is the perfect storm. This was, I, it was everything I anticipated for, but I was having a bit of an identity crisis during the game because I wanted Iowa to win, but I couldn't help but be so happy for LSU because I also love LSU. So, so I was depressed for Caitlin Clark and psyched for Angel Reese. So it was just such a good game. I will say watching the game, because me and Taylor watched this game together um, at a restaurant and it was it was frustrating watching the game with Taylor because she would. Julia was in dismay. Julia was in complete dismay. dismay. I it was worked. just like half and half. It was in bad form because I was solely rooting for Iowa and Taylor was kind of rooting for Iowa, but kind of rooting for LSU. So every time she'd root, every time Caitlin Clark would make like an incredible three, she'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then every time Angel Reese would like get an offensive rebound and put it back up, she would also celebrate and it. It did not make me okay. 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 I didn't you always celebrate. do that, Taylor. You can no, you can no, no, no. Tomorrow. You guys, you do this. everyone. Shh. If it was any other team besides LSU, I would have been like Iowa, 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 Iowa. You should have seen me okay. during the Iowa at USC game. I was freaking out. But like I said, no. There no. were two teams I was paying attention to other than UConn this year, and it was Iowa and LSU. I deserve to be able to be happy for both of them. Sam, stop making moot. The, what the hell? No, 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 Taylor. Let's let's talk about this because you're telling me that if it was a Michigan Iowa final, you're gonna root 
for Iowa or you're telling me you're not going to root for Michigan or you're telling me if it's a UConn-Iowa final, you're not going to root for UConn because these are just lies that you're saying that you are always going to root for Iowa except for LSU because I can name three other teams that you love. You didn't have to bring Michigan into this. <laughs> I you didn't to. have to bring Michigan into this. Yes, I lose to LSU. You know what? Like, I have trouble picking my favorite teams because I just can't help but like many teams because I honestly root for players more than teams sometimes. And everyone clowns me for it, and I will not stand for it. I just like watching sports. Right and on. I like watching Flage, and she's a good rapper, and I was really happy for her that she won a national championship. And I think that is fair. All right. There is... I want to make it clear. There's nothing wrong with liking the sport. Yes. There is, I there s- is however, where, where we kind of veer off in the fork in the road of, of basketball opinions is that you give your loyalty to so many different teams that it's hard to watch games with you. All right, they don't watch them with me. That's fair. That's fair. You guys are so mean. No, it's all it's all in good good heart lighthearted yes, always funny funny jokes yeah wait you know what since oh. when did all in become a podcast flaming <laughs> a female student athlete <laughs> my god all right all right all in is off the rail it's like is fully fully unhinged at this point but we're gonna reel it back in a little bit bring it back to we, we should have we should have another episode that's like not exactly women's sports related and just talk about our experiences with each other watching women's sports because I feel like that would be a very funny that's funny side thing and as as off season has begun I think we could do that soon but until then until then let's get back to this there were so as I mentioned before so many records were broken throughout this tournament by both teams I mean first Kim Mulkey has won I believe Taylor you might know this thing she won with four different she's won four times I think with different schools like she won with I, I think she became like it was like either the third or the fourth NCAA coach ever to win a national championship with two different programs two or more different programs which is crazy I think Kim Mulkey is a psychopath but you know what it works on the court um Caitlin Clark broke uh broke the record for most points ever scored in a single NCAA tournament that is a huge record that's one of the you know that's that's kind of like points I feel like are one of those records where it's like if you beat it like it's a real deal um and among that, there were some viewership records broken. Um, this year's NCAA tournament brought in just under 10 million viewers, an all-time record for any NCAA women's basketball game in the history of the game, including a 103% viewer increase from last year. So a lot to be excited about outside of the game itself, about the future of the game. But let's stick with the game itself because I have some thoughts for sure. Um, specifically in the first half, LSU really found a way to to keep up with Iowa offensively and, and outscore Iowa, honestly. I mean, the, going into the half, they were up by, I believe, more. They were about 10, over 10. And a lot of that is attributed to Jasmine Carson, who had one of the most unreal halves I've ever seen a basketball player play. She, I think she was 7 for 7, 20-something points. Like, absolutely incredible. Uh Caitlin Clark was Caitlin Clark, uh, but the big, I think the biggest story going in the half besides Carson's incredible performance was the referee, was the refereeing. Um, both teams had so many fouls going in the half. I think um, eight of the 10 starters for Iowa and LSU had more than two going into halftime, and the referees really made themselves 
a big storyline in the game, which I hate because the referees are not there to become the story. They're there to make sure that the game is being played properly. And that's, at least I don't feel like that's what happened. Uh, Taylor, we can start with you. What were your thoughts of at least the first half storylines, the referee, Jasmine Carson, the whole shebang? Well, I could just tell Julia's mood was starting to deflate the minute Carson like stepped on the court. Every single time she touched the ball, I felt like she was drilling a three-pointer. And she, wow, like she really wasn't playing like a ridiculous amount during the NCAA tournament, but she came to play in this final. She ended up, I'm pretty sure she was, she was the leading scorer in that game, scoring more than Angel Reese, who was stuck on the bench for pretty much most of the first half because of foul trouble. And I just could not stop watching her. Like she was five of six for three pointers. And just literally looked so confident on the court. And you could tell that the LSU players really kind of just followed her lead. You could just see the confidence rising as the second quarter was going on. And I was still like put up a fight, obviously, but you could tell like going into the second half, LSU had the momentum. And I think it was because of Jasmine Carson. And I was just like, so, so, so unbelievably impressed with how she played, especially for stepping up because Reese not being on the court. Yeah, I think that, Julia, you kind of touched on what I was uh, wanting to mention about this game that I found so absurd is the refereeing. I I like Kim Mulkey as a coach. I think that she is bananas. Man, that woman is crazy. But I respect her as a coach. Boy, do I. However, she was trotting all over that freaking basketball court. And I'm going to she should have gotten a number of technicals for that. Like girl needed to step back. Because she, there are so many videos of her literally on the court. And I know she's passionate. I know she cares a lot about her team and the sport. But, like, you have to know when to step back. And I think that that was just an example of the poor refereeing we were seeing. And examples, they miss that. And yet they're calling foul after foul after foul on everybody else and making themselves, like you said, the star of the show, which I think is what was bothering me the most. Um, but all in all, I mean, this game was insane. I think the first half, you know, I looked up at one point and it was like nine, three, like LSU or something. And I was like, oh, well that won't last long. And I looked up again a little while later and I was like, ah, there we go. I was in the lead. That's, that's what I thought was going to happen. Then I looked up again as we got to the end of the first half and I was like, whoa, we are like the second quarter. I, I mean, of course. And I was like, that is not what I was expecting. Um, And so this game was really, I think, a tale of two halves. One was so close, and then you just saw LSU run away with it in the end. And boy, oh boy, did they play their butts off. Yeah, and you mentioned something that I was going to touch on next going into the second half is, like, Kim Mulkey was, like, being pushed away by referees at one point. Like, she was all – I mean, yes, passion is a part of the game. I love it, but the – calling from the referees were so uneven to where if Kim Mulkey is so on top of referees that referees have to extend their arms to push her back yet when Caitlin Clark just tosses a ball to the uh baseline after a play that deserves a technical foul it's just super frustrating to watch and then I think the biggest the biggest point of the second half where things really started to turn was when players like Caitlin Clark got up to four Monica Sinano got up to four and you really saw LSU and credited them, but they attacked Caitlin Clark and Sonano defensively so hard because it's a win-win for them. They either go in aggressive and they get called for fouls and they foul out, or they play less aggressive and then you take advantage of that and you're playing against a weaker defense. 
And what we saw for the most part is the the latter of that. And that was Caitlin Clark not playing super hard defense. Sonano not getting in there as much as we usually see her, both offensively and defensively, because it's a national championship game. You don't want to foul out of the national championship game. So LSU did a really good job of, of taking advantage of that in the post. Um, like we saw in the, US, in the South Carolina game, Iowa, the Iowa-South Carolina game, you know, Iowa's defensive rebounding abilities are glaring issues. And I'm very surprised that Iowa's even able to get away from South Carolina being out-rebounded by 20. You know, there wasn't quite 20 in this one, but they were still out-rebounded. But the difference was LSU made them pay for that and took advantage of those Angel Reese offensive rebounds, turned them into points. Um, so those were like my big takeaways. I think LSU handedly deserved to win this national championship. They made their jump shots. They made their threes. Taylor, me and Taylor were talking about that, how they're not the best three-point three shooting team, but they really came into this game and were absolutely lights out. And then they also, of course, as I mentioned before, were super present under the post. So, I mean, just like all around, I mean, 102 points, you're going to get that, especially in a national championship game. You're going to see an all around offensive game. And it was really impressive to watch. What's funny was that in the last episode, I was talking about how LSU was going to lose to Virginia Tech if they didn't make their threes. I They woke up before this game and suddenly decided, oh, we're going to drill like literally every single three pointer. They made 11 out of 17 three point shots. That's 64.7%, like, which is the most free points I've seen them like make this entire tournament and once again Carson was I think she drilled like three or four of them in a row and like helped extend the LSU lead to like 22 points at one point so like honestly like I I knew like if LSU could just fit fix that scoring because that that game for Miami the low scoring like just poor offense that concerned me and I was like if they play like that again they're going to lose and they didn't play like that again they tweaked something and it worked and that's why they won a national championship because I knew this team had that national championship caliber it was just a matter of like turning up on the right day and they absolutely did yeah that is that is so true you know we all knew they were good and they had the possibility to get here and I mean Everyone, like, has to put some respect on LSU's name, you know. I think that the narrative heading into this game, a lot of it was, like, I was running away with it. And, like, I will admit I was in that narrative bubble of saying, like, no one can stop Caitlin Clark. No one can stop Iowa. And, like, boy, was I wrong. And, like, I'll say that. Like you said, Julia, LSU handedly deserved to win this game and to win it by the margin that they did, you know, almost 20 points, which is pretty ridiculous for a national championship game. But yeah, when you look at the three-point percentages, it's just baffling how different they are. You know, LSU with an almost 65% three-point percentage and Iowa with barely 46, almost 47. You know, again, a difference of almost a 20 percentage points. And when you look at those stats, it's impossible to recognize, you know, that just Iowa was not doing what they needed to do from beyond the arc that day. And yeah, of course, we got the good old Caitlin Clark buckets that we're used to. But we said this back in, I think, like, November October that you know she can't win that whole team she can't win every game for them and that was an example of this here and when you look at you know the players like Angel Reese and Flage and everyone putting their all into it Iowa didn't bring enough to this game and it was well deserved that LSU ran away with it 100% so to wrap that up LSU are the national championship champions and heading into next season uh, it should be really interesting to see how this rivalry kind of continues because Angel Reese, only a sophomore. Flage only a freshman. Caitlin Clark is a junior who 
is going to a said that she's probably going to, it would be hard for her not to take her fifth year. So we could see two more years of Caitlin Clark in Iowa. Unfortunately, Monica Sinano's career ends along with a couple other seniors for Iowa. But something I want to talk about next is the fallout from the game, because as the time was expiring, Angel Reese did go over to Caitlin Clark and did the, the you can't see me hand motion that we saw Caitlin Clark do to her bench. I want to make that clear, her bench, not another player, because I feel like that's a important uh, thing that's being lost in the narrative is that um, Caitlin Clark didn't necessarily do that to a player. But um, Angel Reese ran over to Caitlin Clark, did her the, did the you-can't-see-me-hand-motion-and-people dialogue has been spewing since then. So before I give my thoughts, I definitely want to hear from you guys about, you know, the, the fallout from it, because the main narrative, of course, is that you know, if Caitlin Clark can do it, Angel Reese should be able to do it without uh, without any repercussions. We've seen a lot of people kind of hate on Angel Reese for for doing this. So, Taylor, we can start with you. What What are your thoughts? I hopped on Twitter, like, right after the game, and I remember I was just, like, so angry seeing people get so mad at Angel Reese. Like, Dave Portnoy hops on there and calls her a classless POS. And, like, just, like, all this, like, hateful rhetoric sp- spouted towards her. And I just couldn't help but think, like, Caitlin Clark has been running around doing these hand gestures, like, looking at other play. Like, there was, like, one game where she looked at someone and she was like, oh, you're down 15, shut up. And I don't think there's really anything wrong with this trash talk. It's very – everyone's very passionate in these games. Like, it's fun. It makes the sport fun. Honestly, you can see how much attention this whole Angel Reese-Caitlin Clark drama has been – has brought to this tournament. Everyone's, like, so into it now. But I just I think there is just an incredible double standard when Angel did it that people were just praising Caitlin Clark like for doing the same exact thing that Angel did. And yes, I know she like Angel did it directed straight at Caitlin Clark. But even Caitlin was saying a couple days later she got interviewed by Sports Center and she was like, Yeah, it's all part of a game. Like I didn't even see her doing it. Like I don't think it's that big of a deal. But everyone online just like completely freaked out. And I just like you can't help to like think like Angel is black, Caitlin is white. And there's just seems to be like a bit of like a racial bias, like going on on Twitter in the reactions that you see. And it just kind of just goes to show like the double standard that like black athletes often face. It's just like frustrating that like the fact that people are calling Angel classless for literally it's just a harmless like little wave across the face. Like, I think she's just got such a powerful personality. She is such an inspiration, like everyone who watches her play and just for people to be bogging her down for her incredible performance during the game, just for like the end of the game, like little taunt. It's just frustrating to see. And I like, I love Caitlin Clark too. I think she's incredible. And I was really happy to see her like come to Angel's defense a couple days ago. But like, it's just, it, it was just frustrating for me to see Reese get trained that way. Yeah, I agree. You know, I think that there is something to be said with what everyone was afterwards when a couple of the LSU players, including Angel Reese, were tweeting nonstop about Caitlin Clark in the days after. And I saw a bunch of things that were like, you just want a championship and you're focused on another player, like living rent free in your head, which, you know, whatever fun and games. But when it comes to the actual action itself that, you know, was getting her all of the negative media attention, Angel Reese deserves that does not deserve that in any way, shape or form. You know, like you said, Taylor, like Caitlin Clark literally looked at someone on Louisville and said, you're down 15. Shut up. Yeah, it was Haley Van Lith, I think. Like Haley Van Lith. Yeah, it was Haley Van Lith, which is crazy. And Haley Van Lith was like, it's all part of the game, like peace and love. And I think that that's what I've been so happy to see is in the fallout of all this, Caitlin Clark has been like, it's part of the game. Everyone needs to get over it. Everyone on on um Iowa is like 
it's not like a as big of a deal, you know, and I think that it is an example of, like you said, Taylor, this implicit racial bias that exists in sports, but also it's pitting women against each other that don't need to be pitted against each other. You know, these are two athletes who are doing it. And I think if men, if anyone on the men's teams did this, no one would do anything. They would just put it in a highlight reel or in a freaking fan cam. Right. And they'd mm-hmm. be like, this is so cool. I think it's only because it's two women that it's getting all this attention. And like, Caitlin and Angel both said they're like, this is just part of the game. Like, get over it. Like, we've seen some insane trash talk come out of the NBA, but it's not been, you know, dramatized and thrown in tabloids. Like, I feel like this has at least. So I think it's go ahead. Oh, sorry. Just to hop in. This isn't even the first time this has happened during this tournament. I remember social media completely lift up, like lit up after the Haley Van Lift, Sonia Morris face off in the louisville te- texas shoot. oh yeah that was all everyone was talking about for like a week and like even hanley van Lee was like i really wish this wasn't blown out of proportion it was like a two-second interaction of like frustration and like yeah. part of me feels like the the magic of the game is getting lost because people are so obsessed with women like fighting each other and it's like you don't see like this weird obsession with it in the nba like, yeah, like, it's just a little bit of trash talk. And, like, that, I feel like a little bit of that is fine. It's a sport. It's, like, people are going to be chirping at each other. But just, like, putting so much focus on something that should be normalized in sport is frustrating. Yeah, I, I do agree with you. I mean, I don't have too much more to say on the matter. But, yeah, I agree. I think it all got blown out of proportion. I think it was – a lot of it was just run up by media because they wanted a scandal and they got one. So, that's what I have to say. Yeah. So, I think – I mean, there's – there's a lot to to unpack, I think, in this situation. I mean, I'm I'm gonna start by playing devil's advocate, but I'm gonna wrap it up with with I think the more, you know, popular opinion. I think there is something to be said for the fact that it's as time was running down, you're about to win a national championship to go over to the team that has just lost a national championship and do that. As time is running out, I don't think it's I don't think it's the best way to go about it. If that had happened, you know, as time was running down at halftime or in the third quarter, even with, you know, three minutes left in the fourth quarter, I think the way I would feel about it would be a lot different. But you look at Caitlin Clark, the trash talk to Haley Van Lith. Yes, that was in response to Haley Van Lith trash talking. You don't say, shut up, you know, you're you're down 15 points, shut up, unless someone said something to you first to warrant that kind of response. So that's kind of like a, you know, Haley Van Lith and Caitlin Clark are both known for trash talking. And that was kind of a back and forth kind of thing. And again, that was during the game. I was, I think I was like three minutes left in the fourth during that to, to win a national championship. And your first thought is to go run over to a player that I don't know, that part sits kind of weird with me. The action itself doesn't, it's the timing of the action that sits weird with me. I can agree with that. I can agree with you. I think I, I think it, the sportsmanship of that, I think if Caitlin Clark had done the same thing at the same time, the narrative would be different than, than the way Caitlin Clark did it to begin with. Because first of all, when she did it, it wasn't to her bench. I mean, it wasn't to the other team. It was to her own bench. She wasn't, you know, running anyone down to do that. I mean, if you look at the, the clip, Angel Reese was running to Caitlin Clark as time was running off the clock to give her the hand motion. And that feels weird. That feels weird to me, a little weird to me. And it's, and it's, again, I can't reiterate it enough. It's not her doing it. It's the timing of her doing it. I think trash talk is great for the game. I love it. I love 
when players, you know, add that extra sense of excitement because it shows passion. Like it, it makes a game fun to watch for fans. And I love that. I just don't love it <laughs> as you're winning a national championship and rubbing it in the face of someone who, you know, losing a national championship is like traumatic. Like that's a, that's a terrible experience. And, you know, rubbing it in at, at that moment of all moments, I think could have been done differently. But with that being said, there is no excuse for the, I think it's blatant racism that we're seeing. Yeah. On Twitter. Like people are saying things about her that are just absolutely ridiculous. Like, I, another reason I hate it is because I'm an Iowa fan. Like, I'm naturally going to hate it. Like, not because of anything other than the fact that, you know, I, I don't like that it was done to Iowa, but that's a that's a, a team bias thing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have liked it if anyone did that. But I think separating myself from that, you can't say the things people are saying to her in any way, shape, or form because – it, first of all it's like not actually that deep like it really isn't that deep like first of all Caitlin Clark didn't even see it like she she literally didn't see it happen um second it's not like she like pushed her like it's not like there was any physical yeah. contact like I feel like people like you said Sam are blowing it way out of proportion because it's women's sports and and we're talking about it because we're in media we're, we're in a podcast that's what's in the news so we're going to talk about it but I think it's important to note that while it's fun to talk about I think the narrative of it, people need to be more careful about the narrative they're perpetuating because I feel like people are acting like Angel Reese, like pulled out a chair and WWE style, like hit her. Like, it's <laughs> <laughs> just not what happened. All she did was put her hand in front of her face and did a, a gesture, like, and not even like a bad gesture. Like, I'm really confused on, on why people feel so strongly about it. Like, ugh, I don't know. I, I think it is like, implicit bias because in the same way that people were too hateful to Angel Reese I feel like people loved Caitlin Clark doing that a little too much when she did it like uh <sighs> when she did that hand motion to the bench I feel like people ate it up like a little too much mm. to the same point I feel like people are obviously hating on Angel Reese way too much yeah so that I helped. hope Julia I, I would totally yeah Sam you could go if you want Oh, I was just going to say, I, I agree. You know, I think that that's probably what it is about. Because, you know, no one loves it, the the situation as a whole. But, yeah, I I think you said it well, Julia. It's not the action. It's not her doing it. It's not anything. It is the timing where it just, to an extent, feels like a little bit of poor sportsmanship. And, you know, if anyone had done that, I think I'd be like, all right, like, let's, let's calm down here. Like, you know, that could have been a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for a lot of the people on the Iowa team. Like you think of the seniors, think of anyone like that. And it's like, wow, that sucks um, that you've just lost a championship and now someone is taunting you, right? But um, that's, yeah, I think that, like I said before, the whole thing has gotten blown out of proportion. I think that if Caitlin Clark had done it, maybe there would be a different reaction um, to when she had done it. I think she still would have been criticized, but not she wouldn't have been called classless. Because language like that is inherently coded when you're saying it to a black player. So she wouldn't have received that um, from Dave Portnoy, of all people, who, sorry if anyone in the future hears this that is going to employ me, but he needs to keep his freaking nose out of other people's business where it does not belong. Um, so I don't understand why he was chiming in on this, but I don't know. That's kind of all I have to say on that matter is I agree with 
um, some of what you have said, Julia, and I stand by the fact that it's racism. Yeah, I yeah, I personally I agree. The timing wasn't great. Like, would I do that? Absolutely not. I don't really want to like rub like a loss into my opponent's face. But there's always like going to be that like temptation to like do so, like just because you're like so proud of yourself and what you did. Like, I think Angel's more willing to do it than I would be. But like, I think what's interesting is that like the discourse online is more focused at the fact that she did it rather than the timing, and. I think that's just like kind of just like disappointing to see. And like Angel Reese has said, like she's talked about it before. She's faced backlash all year. People calling her like ghetto to hood. And she's she says she just kind of like tunes all that out. She calls herself she's the Bayou Barbie. She she knows that she's an inspiration to young girls that are watching her. And it's just sad that she has to face even more of this criticism. I can't even imagine like like maybe like deep down she's like she just won a national title and now she's seeing all these haters on Twitter. That's gotta like kind of like dip in your spirits a little bit even though she still like seems like happy and like presentable online and like she was on a podcast a couple days ago and even she was saying like she was like disappointed that was so blown out of proportion she says she has nothing but utmost respect for Caitlin Clark just in the moment was like a little "Ah." and plus like else you seemed like a little anti-Caitlin Clark even going into this game I think they wanted a little revenge for their SEC sisters um because I don't think they liked how she was like kind of taunting the USC players like at the end of their game so I think that kind of like maybe there was like a little bit of an inkling to like want to do the same to her but all in all I I'm I've been a massive like Angel Reese fan all season and honestly I'm like really glad she's got this win after transferring from Maryland and dealing with injuries and now I think she's got another year or two at LSU and there's like so much so much more potential for her I love her little friendship with Flage like that team is just the team was just like so much fun to watch and that's what I wish people were focusing on instead of this Kate like the um Caitlin Clark taunting drama and so the Jill Biden drama that, that's a whole other can of worms um but it's just like I feel like people are kind of just ignoring what LSU has done winning the first national like basketball title for in school history the men have never won either and it's just kind of completely being pushed aside because of just like blatant racism online yeah and I think that's that's a big thing for me is that the the spotlight is being taken away from the game and in, in a moment for women's sports like now where viewership is up so much, where more and more people are watching. I wish the dialogue was around the game because this is a huge moment for the women's sports, for the women's game, especially in basketball. And I, it's disappointing that, you know, the the dialogue is around things that are off the court, which makes you think like, you know, this is, this is while it's also ingrained racism, I think there's a point to be made that the whole situation is, is sexist. Like, if again, like we, we mentioned before, if this had happened in the men's game, I don't think people would be talking about it as much and definitely not as off proportionate as people are talking about the game because no one's really even talking about the game itself. People are talking about Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark. And yes, it's it's fun to to know the the side stories. And that's I've said I've been on the soapbox so many times saying that the reason people don't watch women's sports is because media doesn't cover stories but I think they're covering this one just a little too much and they should kind of broaden their horizon. It's good that there are eyes on the women's game. I wish just wish it was more on the game itself. But with that being said, viewership was up. There's a lot to look forward to. But we're going to talk about move, move gears a little bit to the WNBA draft that's coming up soon. Not to flex too much, but I will be there. That will be a lot of fun. Um, but we are going to start first with given our first five picks. We're going to start with number one and go from there. Give our pick a little reason why. 
And later, if you feel so inclined, you should follow WFUV Sports on Twitter because I will make a graphic and I will post it and we'll see who's is most likely to be on track and true. So we'll go ahead and start with number one. Um, I will go last each time so I can uh, transition into the second pick. So whichever one of you guys want to go first with your where your number, who isn't going to be the number one overall pick? Taylor, actually, you can go first. Aaliyah Boston is going to be the number one pick, and I don't think anyone should doubt that. I don't even know if I should give a reason. Everyone wants her. She is just such an incredible player. I think I think the Beaver are going to get her. Ditto. Aaliyah Boston. <laughs> I, I, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is the one that is the most obvious. I mean, like, I, there, there's few things I think Aaliyah Boston could have done entering the season to lose that spot. I feel like she's been the consensus number one for the whole year. She's got the gameplay on the court, but I think what sets her apart is her leadership off the court. And that's something that Don Staley has, has said so much all season is, is how important she is as a leader as well as a player. So they're going to be getting a very, very good player. But moving on to number two, Taylor, who do you got? Um, I'm thinking Diamond Miller is going to go number two. Like, I feel like that's what everyone is seeming to guess. Like, the top two, it's going to be Boston and Miller. Um, I think she'd be a pretty good fit for the Lynx. I, I don't really know who else could be in that top two spot, but yeah, my vote's on Diamond. I'm going to be boring. I'm also picking Diamond Miller to go second. Like, I feel like these top two are where uh, most of us are going to agree. And then after this, it might branch unless Julia already disagrees because, of course, Julia is shaking her head. Julia disagrees. <gasps> But I agree. With I also love Diamond Miller. I think she's so freaking cool. So mm-hmm. I, I love Diamond Miller. I hope she freaking goes second overall. Okay. I, if my life was on the line, I would pick Diamond Miller. But since it's not, I'm going to make a different pick. Um, We're putting I, Julia on the chopping block if she gets her top five wrong. Tune in Monday. Okay. Uh, I think. Bum, ba, da, bum. The number two pick, I don't know if it will be, but it should be Maddie Segrist. And That's a crazy pick. I love that. I love she's that. Cool. She's so cool. Here's the thing. Like, she is a generational scorer. Like, you're not gonna find that in any other player. And sure, there's there's things, you know, when you're that good at scoring, you know, maybe defensive uh what's effort is is lower, but I think with the way the WNBA is going, these these teams are gonna have to compete with the Liberty, with the Aces who have super teams. You're gonna need to score. You're going to need to score a lot. And I think this is where Maddie Seegers could potentially see her way jumping. Because right now she's projected, I think, fifth or sixth. Um, But I think that could be a surprise pick at two. And I think it should be. I think Maddie Seegers should be the second overall pick behind Aaliyah Boston. Because she's, I think she's the second best player in the draft. So moving on to three, Taylor. Um, think I was going to say Maddie Seekers for three, but I honestly, I understand why we can go to, I think she like the dream are going to want her. She is just such an incredible scorer. And I feel like she's, it's going to be a hot, like she's going to be a hot commodity. Like once like this draft comes around, but I, I feel like she's a um, safe pick at their for, for, for three. Taylor and I are just going to have the same draft board apparently, because I was also putting Maddie Seekers at three and I was so excited to, to drop that one because I thought that I'd be like fun and different, but I'm, I'm not fun nor different. Um, I have another, <laughs> I have another crazy pick. Um, so I have Diamond Miller even falling further. <laughs> I think. What is it with the Diamond Miller slander? Wait a second. I think the third overall. 
I think it should be Haley Jones because she's been incredible at Stanford. I mean, she can do it all. She can, she's a good scorer. She's a good facilitator and she can rebound. Like she could do anything. She's also been a leader for the Stanford team along with, um, oh my gosh, Cameron Brink. So I think you can't go wrong with Haley Jones because she is, can do everything. I think, I think Diamond Miller is incredible. I think I'm not going to give away my next pick, but I just, I just think when you think of also marketable players as another big thing for me and Haley Jones is that. So Haley Jones going third overall. Let's move over to four. Taylor. Okay. Now I'm going to make a controversial pick because I don't understand why no one has Zaya Cook in the top five. I think she's just such an incredible player. She was playing so well in that, final four game and i think it would be pretty cool i feel like she can go number four but that might just be completely hypothetical on my part but i i would really like to see her go that way i like it okay i'm gonna put bria beal um at four yeah julia just made a face she just raised her little eyebrows but i really like her i think that her defensive ability is great i think that she has a lot of potential to develop in the wnba into an even more well-rounded player offensively too i mean she's a six foot one guard i think she's great and i think that you know that loss to iowa in the final four is going to motivate her to prove that she is one of the best in the game when she gets to the wnba and so i'm putting her fourth this is where I'm going to go with Diamond Miller. I She's not going to fall out of the top five. Um, I think she's, a, she's an incredible player. Really did a lot for Maryland. Fordham actually played Maryland earlier this season and didn't lose by that much. Actually was leading in the fourth quarter. So uh, that was a cool thing for, for Fordham to be able to play possibly a top three pick in the WNBA draft. But yeah, Diamond Miller's incredible. I have her going fourth. I mean, yeah, going fourth. Yeah. So let's round it out with our, our fifth pick, Taylor. All right, Julia, I'm going to take what you said about Haley Jones and apply it to my fifth pick. So I think Haley Jones is going to go five because the sky is going to need a new leader after Candace Parker is left for the aces. And Haley Jones can, I feel like can definitely step into that role. She's led the Stanford team for years and I think she's going to be a really good fit for them. Okay. I'm going to, I think throw a curveball. I need some help with pronunciation. Last name, Dorka. Dorka. Yes. Terrible terrible with player name pronunciation always and it's so hard in hockey especially because they're all like russian and i can't do it um but i'm putting dorka fifth i the the stuff that i've looked at is projecting her at like 12th i don't put her there i put her higher up you know when she's healthy she's a really solid scorer she was averaging like 14 points per game great rebounder I think that, you know, she'll see a lot of success. She played on a very successful UConn team, so I'm putting her fifth. Absolutely. Um, I think it's interesting, and that's this is something we're going to talk about after I give my fifth pick, is just where UConn, uh, UConn players are projected to go quite low or high, depending on what you look at it. Um, but my fifth pick um, is, you know, this is a player that none of us have, have mentioned, but is currently projected to go third overall, and that's uh, my Tennessee Vol. Jordan Horston, um, I think she's an incredible player. Uh, Tennessee had a really great season this year, kind of reestablishing themselves as a women's basketball uh, super, super team to to compete with. Um, but yeah, I have Jordan Horston going fifth, falling a little bit due to bigger names. But yeah, that'll wrap up the the draft section. But the last thing I really want to talk about before we 
fully wrap up. And this is something um, really more geared towards Taylor here. And that is the lack of love for UConn. Because Do you want to put me in agony, Julia? A little bit. Because if you look at the- I was arguing. I was tortured last week. And now you guys are doing it again. Start yeah. the show with Taylor Slander. End the show with Taylor Slander. Exactly. Because if you look at the ESPN draft, Lou Lopez, Seneschal, and Dorky Juhas are projected to go outside of the top 10. But if you, if you look at names that were mentioned a lot through the season- those are two of the big ones. Lou Lopez Seneschal, of course, having one season at UConn, her fifth year from Fairfield, um, really made the most of it. She had a really great season. And Dorka, of course, um, fifth year as well, I believe. Yes. Um, and she also has had – she's had some tough luck with injuries, but when she's on the court, she is incredible. So, Taylor, I want to hear from you. Uh, just give your little plea to, to the ESPN – draft board makers on why Lou Lopez and Michelle and Dorky Juhas are better than outside the top 10. No, you know what? I might throw a little bit of a curveball because I read a quote by Gino this morning that made me kind of feel a little better about them being a later pick. Some of the better teams have later picks. They don't get those first overall, first overall draft picks. So let's say the New York Liberty have a sick, like they have the sixth pick in the draft. That's later in the draft. Like, let's say like, Lou was that high. She's going to be on the Liberty. So they have a higher chance of maybe getting a winning or team if they get picked later in the draft. So I feel like maybe it is kind of like a win-win situation, kind of. I don't know. I'm just putting a positive spin on it. But, I mean, they're still hopefully going first round, and that's all I can ask for. Yeah. I mean, I was surprised looking at this, uh, seeing both of those players so low. And unfortunately for them in the, in the top 12, uh, the aces nor the Liberty have a pick. So that, that sucks because you don't get to be put on one of those teams. Um, but I think that's just about going to do it for us guys. This is a really, really great episode until next time. Thank you everyone for listening. All in is a production production of WFUV sports. 